Jude, verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude said, it was needful for me to write unto you. Even as the Apostle Paul might say, necessity was laid upon him. He wrote and said this in verse 3. That when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. It sounds like he had a twofold message in his writing. He wrote unto them of the common salvation. Very similar to what we mentioned this morning, and there is no difference. Common salvation. It's common for all believers. It's common for Jews and Gentiles. Everyone that has, has salvation has a common salvation. There is not one for one group and another salvation for another group that would require another Savior. There is a common salvation even as there is a common faith among believers. But he said not only to write unto you of the common salvation, he said it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you. Not only write to them about one thing, but he said it was needful for me to exhort you. Word exhort means to admonish you. The word exhort as it's used here means to urge one to pursue a certain course of conduct. To exhort. To exhort. Again in verse 3 it was needful. It was needful for the time that Jude did write these words. It's equally needful in our generation for these words to be passed on, to be read, to be studied, and to be proclaimed. I'm afraid that in our generation among Christians as well as among many churches that people are not aware of the seriousness of false doctrines. False doctrine is a serious thing. No matter what form it takes, no matter who proclaims it, false doctrine is a serious thing. 
Some seem to have the idea that one religion is, is as good as another. I've heard men of national prominence in religion say that it'd be the same for Jews and Hindus and Buddhists. They're all going the same place. They're just going a different way. Some have the idea that one church is as good as another. Well, I'll be bold to say the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ are better than any church started by any man. The Lord's church is the best church upon this earth. One church is not as good as another. And I'll also say that error is never as good as truth. Error is never. Jude said it was needful for me to write unto you and to admonish you in this and to encourage you in a certain type of conduct. And that conduct was the latter part of verse 3, that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. I'll mention this concerning the exhortation of Jude here. While we earnestly contend for the faith, we should never have any animosity of any kind to any of those who are steeped in false doctrine. It should never be personal. But also at the same time, we must contend for truth and deny every false doctrine. We should always earnestly, and that word carries a large impact, contend for the faith. That is the body of faith. We could say it's the written word of God that was once and for all time Delivered unto the saints, we must never compromise. Never. Never compromise with any. You simply cannot earnestly contend for the faith if you unionize with those of false doctrine. I'm sure it will not be long here in Grenada as in other, other cities and towns. There'll be union services around Easter. Different denominations will come together and have a union service. I won't be there. You cannot earnestly contend for the faith if you unionize with those who uphold false doctrine. You have absolutely no credibility in standing for truth if you unionize and fellowship with those who oppose truth. Where's your credibility? Where is the, the witness? I think I may have told you this, but I'll, I'll tell it again years ago. In a foreign country, I was asked by a preacher. He said, Brother Lee, how do you deal with those who preach false doctrine? And I simply said, I don't. I don't. I don't have anything to do with them. I stay away from them. I will not sanction by my presence what they are doing or what they are teaching. But if I have fellowship with them, I am condoning them. So I just don't 
have any fellowship with them at all. How do I deal with them? I don't. I stay away from them. Look in the book of Romans, if you would, in chapter 16. Romans, and in chapter 16, here I read verse 17 and verse 18. Romans in chapter 16, verse 17. If Paul did bring this epistle to a close, he said, Now I beseech ye, brethren, mark them, identify them, in some manner identify them, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Paul wrote that by divine inspiration. He said, avoid. They have a doctrine that is contrary to that which ye have learned. Just avoid them. Why? Verse 18. For or because they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. I'm going to go from there to the book of 1 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy and in chapter 3, there are some who to maybe the natural eye are very religious. They may seem orthodox in their beliefs, but notice what is said in 2 Timothy 3, 5 having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And he said, from such, just turn away. From such, turn away. Verse 8, now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. And he said, just avoid them. Avoid them. Stay away from them. Verse 5. Turn away. Turn away. Romans in chapter 1. Romans and in chapter 1. And here I'll read verse 18. The Bible tells us, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That covers a lot of people who oppose biblical truth. Turn away from them. The wrath of God is a serious thing. I'm going back to the book of Psalm. To Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And here I read verse 104. Where the psalmist said, through thy precepts I get understanding. In other words, he said, just read the Bible. Look into the Word. The precepts of God. And he said, I'm going to just paraphrase here a little bit. Since it is through thy precepts that I get understanding, therefore I hate, I hate every false way. If you look in verse 128, he said, therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. I'll say again, 
We're to have no animosity or hatred for anyone, no matter what false doctrine they may uh, be a part of, but their way, their doctrine, I hate. I hate. God's people who truly believe God's word ought to hate every false way. You do not find room there for exceptions. I don't think we'll ever be able to earnestly contend from the faith unless and until we do hate every false way. As surely as the love of God is spread abroad in our hearts, there also ought to be a hatred for any and everything that opposes our God. I hate every false way. You must have such a love for, for our biblical truth that you cannot tolerate anything that opposes scriptural truth. You just can't tolerate it. I just can't tolerate it. Don't want to be around it. Just avoid it. Just avoid it. I think you must have such a love for God, love for the Word of God, love for the Son of God, that I say again, you just hate everything that opposes them. Notice in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians and in chapter 1, verse 17. Notice the last words of that verse where Paul said, I am set for the defense of the gospel. I'm going to say again, you cannot earnestly contend for the faith. You cannot be set for the defense of the gospel and unionize with those who hold a false gospel. You can't do it. Try as you please, you simply cannot do it. He said, I am set. And we use that word dealing with concrete, it, we let it set. Paul said, I'm set. I'm set. And I'm set for the defense of the gospel. Look in 1 Timothy, if you would, in chapter 6. 1 Timothy and in chapter 6. And in verse 12, the apostle Paul said, Fight the good fight of faith. <clears throat> fight the good fight of faith. Very similar to the words of Jude, earnestly contend that word involves striving. It involves effort. Earnestly contend for the faith. Fight the good fight of faith. If you want to look in 2 Timothy and in chapter 4 and in verse 7, as the apostle drew near to the end of his life, he said, I have fought a good fight. How did he do that? He opposed false doctrine on every hand. He could not tolerate it. It did not matter to him whether it was in a Jewish synagogue or out in the street or before king. It did not matter. Wherever it was, he opposed it. He earnestly did contend for the faith. Back in Jude, in, in verse 3, why was it so important, needful, for Jude to exhort the saints as he did. He must have had a reason. He must have had a reason. And the answer is given to us as we read it in verse 4. Because there are certain men crept in 
unaware. You notice the wording there is much like that of uh, you find in other places. And I'll point out in just a moment in Galatians. But he said the reason it was needful is that there are certain men crept in unawares. He said these were were of old ordained to this condemnation. He called them ungodly men. And he said they turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Now remember that phrase if you would. Lasciviousness is something that is evil. And Jude says here that these ungodly men who have crept in are turning the grace of our God into something that it never was. Think about that. Keep it in your mind for a little bit further in the message. But they're turning the grace of God into something that is to something that is right the opposite of what the grace of God is. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to hold your place here, I'm going to Galatians in chapter 1. It's hard for me to study the words of Jude without thinking of the writings of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1. Equally hard for me to read Galatians 1 without thinking of the writings of Jude. Galatians in chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Paul wrote, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For, for if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Back to verse 7 two things here. He said, there be some that trouble you. You notice in verse 2, he's writing under the churches, plural of Galatia. The churches of Galatia had a serious problem. There were some that were troubling them. They were in trouble. And those that are troubling them, in verse 7, would pervert the gospel of Christ. Notice it did not say they did pervert, even though they did. But he said they would. That's their intention. That's their desire. They would pervert the gospel of Christ. 
chapter 2 and in verse 4, he said that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Now notice the first words of verse 4 here. False brethren, unawares, brought in, came in privately. Jude said they crept in. They crept in. Here, those at Galatia were troubled by those who would pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. That brings a question to our mind. What does it mean to pervert something? Do you know what a pervert is? You've heard people referred to as a pervert. What does that mean? It means they have become something that mankind was not naturally. There's been a change. To pervert something is to change it into something that it was not originally. So when we read in verse uh, 7 here, there be some that trouble you and would pervert. They would turn the grace of God into something that it never had been, was not originally. That's what it means to pervert something. Perversion. You ever just thought about what the word perversion means? That's what I think about new versions of the Bible is perversion. It's changing it into something it never was. What it was not originally. There are several places I could refer you to, but I'm going to go to Acts chapter 2 and point out how that word pervert is used and how it means to turn into something that it was not originally. Acts chapter 2 and in verse 20. The sun shall be turned into darkness. The word pervert, the word that's translated pervert, is the same word turned here in Acts 2.20. The sun shall be turned into something that it never was. Turned into something that it was not originally. The moon in the blood, something that it never had been. And I'll say again, to pervert the gospel is a serious matter. Some look at doctrine. We as Baptists, Baptists originally through the years have stood for a biblical truth, opposed error. But it seems like many today view it as just a minor disagreement. It don't really matter. Well, it does matter. It does matter. It does matter when there are those that would change the gospel of Jesus Christ into something that it was not originally. Turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Galatians chapter 1 and in verse 6, this perversion of the gospel involves a removal Paul said, I marvel that you're so soon removed. You're not where you were. Writing to the churches of Galatia, you are not where you were. You look over at the same book, chapter 5, and in verse 
verse 4, he said, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are, are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. That tag could be uh, placed on many Baptist churches of our generation. They have experienced a removal from what they originally were. They have fallen from the doctrines of grace. Don't think that phrase falling from grace means a loss of salvation. That's been a false teaching for years. It means they've left something. They've left where they were. They've, they've been removed. In chapter 1 again of Galatians and in verse 8, Paul speaks about a gospel that he and others had preached. He said, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. Notice the phrase, that which we have preached unto you. That which we have preached unto you. Well, it won't you, it should make us want to know, well, Paul, what did you preach and where did you get your message from? Well, if you have that question, you look down to verse 11 and 12. Last words in verse 11, it's not after man. First words of verse 12, I, I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it by man. There's so much false doctrine in our generation, even among Baptist churches, and the false doctrine comes from teachings of men. Teachings of men. Any gospel that is contrary to, to the gospel we find in the word of God is a perversion. It's simply a perversion. First Corinthians in chapter 11, Paul said there, I received of the Lord that which I delivered unto you. I received it of, of the Lord. You remember the words in first Corinthians chapter 15 in verse three, where he said, for I delivered unto you first of all, that which I also received. Paul did not receive it of men. He received it from God. And Paul considered anything contrary to what he had received from the Lord as a counterfeit or a perversion. Any gospel which includes any works of man, the means of salvation is a perversion. Any gospel that has Jesus plus anything is a perversion. It's a serious thing. I'm convinced any, any church or any religion, any gospel that in any way includes the phrase get saved is a perversion. It's a perversion. You don't get saved. We are saved by the grace of God. Any gospel that takes the work of salvation from Jesus Christ and places that upon the sinner is a perversion. Arminianism is a perversion. It's not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Galatians again, this time chapter 3 and in verse 1. Paul called these Galatians foolish. And he's speaking not to just one individual or one church, but the churches of Galatia. And he says you're foolish. That word foolish there 
means unintelligence. You're senseless. You don't have any sense listening to these people. You don't have any sense following after their false doctrine. Paul said in verse 1 of chapter 3, not only are you foolish, you're bewitched. Pretty serious language. That word bewitched means you've been fascinated by something. You've been misled by someone. The churches of Galatia were bewitched. Think about the seriousness of this. Again, it's a serious, serious matter. Chapter 5 and in verse 7. Paul tells the churches of Galatia, there was a time that you did run well. Remember, we would have run the race. And Paul looks at them here and he looks back and he said, you did run well. What happened? What happened? Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Verse 7, notice what it says. He speaks of the churches of Galatia as if they're running a race. They're doing very well running the race. But then something hindered them. You want to do a word study? Look up that word hinder. And it means somebody cut in. It'd be like if you were watching a track meet and you watched the runners run. All of a sudden, a bystander, a spectator on the side just steps in and trips the runner. That's the word picture. Somebody tripped you up. You did run well. Who did hinder you? Verse 8. He said, This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. This hindering that is mentioned in verse 7 comes about through the art of persuasion. Art of persuasion is a very powerful tool. Those who hold false doctrine are many times very convincing and persuasive in their argument. If you are not grounded and settled in the truth, you'll be hindered. You'll be tripped up. It's something that we ought to really consider. I want you to notice here several things. Well, I'm going to go back there to chapter 5. Verse 9 is important. First he said, This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. And he reminds them, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And in Scripture, uh, false doctrine is like an under leaven, just a little bit. Just let a little in. And just like leaven, it'll permeate the whole thing. Tolerate one error, you're capable of tolerating another. Then you tolerate another, and you tolerate another. Now, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. It'll leaven the whole lump. Back to chapter 1 of Galatians. To emphasize the seriousness a false doctrine. Again, it's not a just a little disagreement that we have among uh, individuals or churches. Somebody told me one time, and I mentioned this in a, I was preaching somewhere, I've got where I was now, but I mentioned it. But somebody told me one time, Brother Lee, you're nitpicking. I said, there's a lot of nits that need picking. Are we just overlook the little things and then let them permeate? grow. 
Notice how serious the Apostle Paul took this. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, he said, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. I don't know why it's repeated, maybe for emphasis, maybe because they might not get it, so he'll say it again. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Paul considered it a serious matter. Notice what he said. Verse 8. Even if an angel from heaven comes into your midst and preaches any other gospel, let that angel from heaven be accursed. It's a serious thing. Then he said, even if we, who's that include? Well, maybe Paul and those with him, maybe Paul and other apostles. It did not matter who it may be. Let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Again, I don't know of a more serious thing than this. Hold your place and go. Well, I'm going to come back and forth, I guess. I'm going back to chapter 5. In chapter 5 and in verse 10, You'll notice Paul had not lost all confidence in the churches of Galatia. He's writing to help them. And he said, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you, how did they trouble them? Well, they brought in false doctrine, false gospel. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. Well, he said back in chapter 1, even if it's an angel from heaven, Paul said even if it's me or those with me, other apostles, no matter who it is, if they bring any other gospel, any other doctrine, let them be accursed. It is a very, very serious thing. Chapter 5 and verse 1. He exhorts them, even as Jews did exhort, stand fast, stand fast. In the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. If you look over to chapter 6, and I'll begin reading there in verse 14. But God forbid, you know, that ought to be the prayer of all of us. None of us can stand without the help of God. God forbid. May God forbid that any of us or the church here individually should glory in anything save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy 
and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I'll close by saying this. My concern is not so much with false doctrine, which is found in false churches. My concern is with the Lord's churches and those in the Lord's church, because there are those in the Lord's churches who support false doctrine by fellowshipping and unionizing with false churches. It ought not to be. It ought not to be.